1: In Northern Ireland's troubled past, there have been hundreds of atrocities and thousands of lives lost. But one 24 hour period stands out as the most brutal of all. Forty six years ago this week, unprecedented slaughter visited a small corner of South Armagh and left its mark forever on both the landscape and the lives of those left behind. First was the brutal murder of the Catholic Reavy brothers, John Martin and Brian, just 24 and 22 years old when they were gunned down in their family home as they watched the popular game show Celebrity Squares. Their 17-year-old brother Anthony, catastrophically injured in the ambush, would die weeks later. The attack was carried out by the notorious Glenan gang, made up of rogue police and army officers working in collusion with Unionist terrorists in a sick bid to ethnically cleanse the Catholic population. Twenty minutes after the ambush, in a coordinated attack, three members of the O'Dowd family were slaughtered in their home in nearby County Down by a UVF hit team. But that wasn't the end of the killings. Within 24 hours of the murders, a suspected IRA terror mob carried out the shocking Kingsmill massacre of 10 innocent Protestant textile workers and one more who miraculously survived. So what is the legacy of such appalling events, and after four and a half decades, is the British Government's plans for a Troubles' amnesty a line in the sand, or is it an outrage to those still seeking justice? With my colleague Hugh Jordan, we visit peace campaigner Eugene Reavy as he recalls the dreadful events that visited his life. And we consider the stark reality that some scars may never heal. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com.
2: My name is Eugene Reavy. I'm from a small village in South Armagh called White Cross. I was born into a family of twelve, eight boys and four girls, and there was three bedrooms, small bedrooms I have to say. It wasn't uncommon for for maybe five or six of us to be in the one bed, top and bottom. But it it was all right, We we were a very, very happy family. I never remember the boys ever fighting in our house. Not once. My father always said that there would never be work on the land for for everybody. Was that inherited by your parents? That land? No, uh, it was bought when I was about eight or nine by my by my uh, grandfather. It, it was only a small farm. Like it wasn't. It wasn't 100 acres (laughs) or like that, you know. So he he, he made everybody get a trade. Every one of my brothers had a trade. And they were properly trained. It wasn't that they were on the building site for two or three weeks and they were bricklayer. They had to go and do their time. On January the 4th, 1976, we were at... Mass in Kerriganani Chapel, which is just up the road, a couple of miles up the road. and and uh, we used to always go home on a on a Sunday afternoon. everybody would go home after the football or wherever, and there would be crack and carry on till about half seven, eight o'clock. But on this Sunday, Mummy told us that she was that she was going over to her sisters in Camla for the visitor. She hadn't seen her since, since being before Christmas and not to be coming over because there would be nobody there. So that was all right. Uh, mommy and Daddy and three of the children and Oliver left home at about five past six. And there was only three boys left, John Martin, Brian and Anthony. Uh, John Martin was 24, Brian was 22, Anthony was Seventeen, and they were watching celebrity squares on the TV. And there was, there was, there was a two of them sit, uh, sitting over there uh, on an armchair. One of them was in the chair, and the other was was on the side. And if he happened to move was tall the other boy was in. You see, so. <laughs> and John Martin, he was sitting in front of the fire. He was putting on his socks, so. Less than five minutes after after Mummy left, door open, our door was always open day and night, and there was this gun coming through the uh, I mean, top of the door, and everybody didn't say nothing or do anything because they they just thought maybe like they were they were around taking our senses or something, but but before they could even blink. This man, this burly man in the and uh, and the doorway, opened fire, and he he just cut John Martin in two nearly. You know, forty odd bullets in him. Brian and Anthony ran into uh, the room at the door where they were where, where they were sitting. Brian got shot in the back. It went right through his heart. So there were there were very professional people that was at this shooting. John Martin's bullets were all round his chest and that, you know. And well, I mean, he had a few other uh, he had a few other bullets in him too, but that one killed him instantly. And he fell round the door and you would think he was sitting in the in the fireplace. Anthony had dived onto the bed. It was the second bed in that room and uh, uh the gunman followed him up and and uh, fired 30 40 rounds into the bed Seven, 17 bullets hit Anthony but didn't kill him so uh, Anthony heard the gunman going uh, going going back up into the kitchen and he shut off all the other doors in the house looking for the rest of us then uh, then he heard this car pulling up and uh, and he could hear the footsteps of the gunmen running to the car and after they were gone there was a there was a silence and he climbed out from under the bed and Brown was lying in the in the fireplace and he felt his pulse and there was nothing there so now he he knew he was dead he went on up in the kitchen. Uh, John Martin was laying on the floor in a pool of blood, and he knew that there was that there was no point in even looking about him. Like that, he was dead. So Anthony, he uh, um, crawled out through the door. Now he was badly injured. He, he, had, he had seventeen bullets in him, all around his groin and lower stomach area, and he couldn't walk. Is he said so, and he was bleeding. He was well bleeding, you know. Like there was. There was uh, some trail of blood, and he got over onto the other side of, of the road, and he managed to crawl on his hands and knees up to the neighbour's house, and you could follow the blood the whole way up. So when he got up, he pulled himself up on the on the gate, lunged towards the the, the front door, and uh, started battering the door, and he was and he was uh, shouting, in, "Angela, uh, I'm shot!" and everybody shot. And when she opened the door, he fell into her arms. He was unconscious. So she got a blanket for him and a pillow and, you know, tried to comfort him. And the young fella rang the the police ambulance and uh, the police, the ambulance and who else? And the doctor, sorry. (laughs) The doctor. So, uh, uh, Oliver, meantime, was on his way back from leaving Mummy and Daddy over and uh, pulled up, parked car, and the door was open, but that didn't faze him at all. Walked in and he seen John Martin laying on the floor. And he never spoke for 12 months. Now, you wouldn't believe that. He never spoke. Um, he didn't know Anthony was dead up. In, or sorry, Brian was dead up in the room, so he ran up the neighbour's house. O'Hanlons, like we were always running up and down to each other's house. And he and he seen Anthony there, and him. Well, like they were they were they were trying to do their best for him, and then the doctor arrived and the parish priest, and they gave him the last rites, and the uh, the ambulance came then, and he went to Daisy Hill. Dr. Stewart and Father Hughes went down to our house and I give the boys the last rites, and uh, Dr. Stewart pronounced both of them dead.
1: 1975 had been a significant and violent year in the Troubles, with an uneasy truce between the Provisional IRA and the British Government. Loyalists fearing they were to be forsaken by the UK and left to a united Ireland, stepped up attacks on Catholics in order to provoke the provost back to war. Some IRA units reacted, many without sanction from the provost's top command. On New Year's Eve, three Protestant civilians were killed in a bomb attack on a pub in Guildford, with the People's Republican Army claiming responsibility. Four days later, the Reavy family at White Cross, and the O'Dowd family in Ballydugan were targeted. The killings would later be confirmed to be in revenge for Guilford, although a report found they were being planned anyway. So I'm living up the road, a
2: couple of miles up the road, and there was a, a friend of mine home from uh, from East Africa. He was a priest, Father called Malone. And Con and I had been friends all our lives. He sort of lived in our house. An extra one or two about our house didn't seem to matter. So Con came flying in and he says, hey boy, put your jacket on you quick. There's been an accident over at the cottage. Now I knew from his demeanour like that there was something seriously wrong because like when he came into our house, he, he, he was always like a breath of fresh air coming in all is in good form and all, so, so I put my jacket on and I shouted into Roisin in the kitchen, listen, I'm way over the cottage, I'll be back in 10 or 15 minutes. So when we were halfway over the road, I said to Colin, what's the story over here? And he says, there's, there's been a shooting, Eugene, he says, and I think that there's one fatality. Cause that's all they knew about at that time, was was John Martin, you know. Like uh, they didn't know about Brian. Brian wasn't long um, home after leaving his girlfriend into Daisy Hill Hospital to work. She, she was a nurse. So anyway, uh, we got over to the house and I jumped out of the car, ran in, and there was a couple of policemen standing at the door and. They wouldn't let me in, said that there was, that there was, there was a police man inside, he was having, having a look at this, that and the other. So anyway, I wasn't there very long until I just burst in past them I a the uh What a sight I seen on that floor it was unbelievable. Like, John Martin, he was a very, very jolly sort of a fella. He he would always have some uh, smart remark for you or something, you know. And uh, there he was. He was just like a rag doll. He was cut too (sighs) cue. Mummy and Daddy then came home in uh, a Cuse's car. And uh, 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 they never got out because... Then our uh, two bodies were, were in, the ambulance at this stage. So um, we went into Daisy Hill Hospital, and uh, Anthony was up in uh, intensive care, fighting for his life, and uh, and the, uh, my two boys were in the morgue. So Daddy and my brother Seamus was going to. Uh, he would identify them and Daddy um, he took a heart attack. Spent all that night anyway in the hospital and there was, there was two boys in, in the morgue. Daddy was on the monitors and Auntie was upstairs and my mother was in a, she was in an awful state. But uh, we came out home anyway and we never seen one soldier on the road. Not one. It was as if there was nothing that uh, happened. My father called for no retaliation for the death of his sons. And he said that if the death of his sons prevented any more killings, um, then they would, n- they would not have died in vain.
1: While the Reavy family wanted no retaliation, the killings of the innocent brothers would be a catalyst for even more slaughter. Within 24 hours, a hit squad, later identified as the Provisional IRA, staged a checkpoint at King's Mill Crossroads, where a bus carried workers to the local textile mill. Monday was, uh, was the next day, so...
2: We had planned for them to leave home at 5.30 for going to go into Daisy Hill for the pick up our two corpses. And all the footballer fellas and all, they were all to be at the house at 5.30. Now, I was in the first car leaving home. Me and Roshan, I don't know who it was. I can never remember who was with us. And my father and mother and she, uh, she was on the way, they were in the second car. And we drove over the road, just from over there, over to the King's Mills. And uh, we're, we're uh, going up around that corner at the manse, And I could, in the distance, I could see a light on. So as I got up a bit, there was a fellow there waving his arms, a fellow called Jerry Bourne. And I put the window down and drove up beside him. And Jerry says, jump out quick, he says, there's been a massacre up here. So anyway, I got out of the car and walked up and and it was raining and it was pitch dark because you know January and there was a mini, or there was a bus on the left hand side and the lights were were full on and it was shining into the distance and I could see all this steam rising you know out of these bodies I could see it very clearly because of the lights they weren't coming coming my way. They were going away from me. And when I went up first, I thought it, it was it was McGee's cows or gonna swore, because that field, you know where the monument is. I I thought that'd come out, and I took another couple of steps forward. And Jesus, were them human beings? And they were, Jesus, desperate altogether. I see this steam that was coming out of them. There was um, somebody. Uh, somebody told me later on it wasn't steam. It was the, it was the gunpowder, you know. That uh, that many shots had been fired because I mean we were there just after the shooting coup. Like it, it wasn't long happened. So <clears throat> the one thing that stuck with me all these years was when there was. There was now two things. First of all, it was this smell of death, which is an awful thing. You, you don't get it on an ordinary wake and the gut, but this was desperate all together. All these bodies was just all piled on top of each other. Uh, the heads blew off them like, fuck, it was a bad carry on going. We got the cars torn down. I went, I went, I went um, all back down. Now, I was in some state of shock because I had my own brothers killed on them, and then this kid was it was unbelievable, you know. So anyway, we got into Daisy Hill Hospital finally, and and everybody walked past in a, in file and uh, said a couple of prayers or whatever we had it. Do and then, uh, Father called. He uh, said the rosary and whatnot, and uh, uh, we all went into a, a, another room. And uh, uh, the undertaker and the morgue attendants got the bodies ready for for heading home. So we got the two uh, uh, coffins out into the out uh, um, out into the. The horses. And when, we, and when we went to take off, wasn't the whole place blocked up on us? Because all these police cars was flying in, ambulance was was flying in, there was nobody getting out. It was pandemonium. So so after about two hours, and we went out the road, four or five miles out the road near the mountain house, and we'd come across a roadblock. And there was a, like there was an army jeep here and there was one there and the two horses went right through and they told them for the wait on us. So then, uh, Seamus in his car, he went in, he was stopped, I went in and I was stopped. So, then I took Seamus and mummy out of the car. Daddy wasn't uh, fitting it out and he told them that. So, and uh, and I had to get out of the yoke. Roach didn't uh, get out. And uh, I was standing up against the Land Rover. And this young soldier, he, he, he had the gun in my back and he was going like that there, you know. He was shaking like a leaf. And I. I looked over and uh, this fucker had mommy, and he was saying to her, oh Mrs. Ravy, you have only one nose Mrs. Ravy. where is your other nose? Oh you have only two ears Mrs. Ravy. where is your other ear? And I was thinking to myself I'm going to I'm gonna hit this fucker because I'm not letting him off. Uh, but you know, mommy had a eight boys, and in our time of need, there wasn't one of us fit to do none. But and he and he kept on saying, "Oh, it's well for you, Miss Reeve, he hasn't any trouble or or any bother, and we're out here trying to keep the peace, and you know it's not easy." And mommy shouted over at me, "Don't do that, Nugent," she says. Don't hit anybody because, like, and I, I was hurt because and I was thinking to myself, well, you know, they only got three of us uh, last night. I wonder, are they, are they going to do the rest of us now? Because they were, like, they were really, really bad boys. And nobody m- need tell me this was, this was just, just a, um, happened off the top of the heads. The, I mean, I mean, this was very carefully planned.
0: Well, we're here at King's Mills in the heart of South Armagh, not too far from Newry.
1: Journalist Hugh Jordan has spent years investigating who is behind the attacks on the Revy and O'Dowd families and also on the King's Mill workers. He has identified and approached many of those suspected of being responsible, but says nobody has yet been brought to justice.
0: This is the wall that was erected uh, to the victims of the King's Mill Massacre when a minibus taking um, linen workers home from a day's work uh, passed this way on their way home at tea time and it was stopped that they thought was a checkpoint uh, but it was a bogus checkpoint it was actually an IRA murder operation and uh, they, they, they got everyone off the bus, the gunmen got everyone off the bus, they thought it was a, a proper checkpoint, it wasn't, and they lined everybody up, and the, then the gunmen asked if any of them were Catholics, and the, the one man who was a Catholic was the driver and they pulled him out. He thought he was going to get shot, and his Protestant friends stood up for him, no, stand with us, stand with us. And he was made to run off up the road, and then they opened fire on the rest of them. So there were 10 uh, killed and one uh, shot uh, 18 times. Mm. So it was was really what you would expect to hear from the Taliban. That's exactly what happened here all those years ago. It says there, the worst act of slaughter carried out in the Troubles. When this happened here in 1976, this was a very bleak place. No one ventured out at night, and anyone who was out was out a short time and went home and stayed out the way. This was a dangerous place to be death-lucked, the highways and byways of this area.
1: And... There's a plaque here on the side of the road to the people who died, the King's Mill workers who were taken out and one by one shot. In fact, there's still a, a note there laid in memory of all those who were cruelly murdered by terrorists on January, 5th of January, 1976. We will remember them. And you drive up the road a few minutes and there's another plaque for the... Raving brothers on the
0: same road. Mm. It's it's quite a, it's quite a, it's an amazing piece of road. There's yeah. there's no one no else like this in Ireland that this happened here. But every January, and I've been here often myself for the little ceremony on on the anniversary of it, and uh, it's still. The family never got anywhere. There was no uh, mm. no justice. It was never claimed by the IRA, but it was an IRA atrocity.
1: And you just sort of five minutes after the Reavy brothers were killed, across the ca- twenty minutes across the county, the another family were visited by tragedy as yeah, well.
0: The O'Dowes. It was linked as well, and as much as the man responsible for that was a, a well-known uh, terrorist called uh, Jackson, and. Uh, uh, it was known as the Jackal, and uh, he was responsible for that. It was all coordinated on the on the same night.
1: Mm-hmm. And Catholic and Protestants in this tiny place, there were uh, seventeen lives lost within twenty four hours, and all of whom the killers of of any of them that remain alive and free. May be granted an amnesty by Boris Johnson. Well, that's that's that's
0: the way things are going at this stage. Uh,
1: um,
0: you heard Eugene Rievi speaking earlier, and he said uh, the, the the English Tory government have the numbers to be able to see it through. Uh, the, the, the loophole that he hasn't accounted for is that this still comes under European law at this stage, and that may may scupper it. But uh, at this mm. stage, that's the that's the way it's heading.
1: Mm. And of all the seventeen. Are there convictions for... Has anybody been before the courts?
0: Not related, not related to this, no. no. Not related to any of these,
1: mm. no. And 45 years later, what do you think um, it would mean for people to actually see, you know, the relatives of all these people?
0: Well, I've stood here uh, with the Kingsmills families and they're as devastated today as they are the, the day that it happened. And they... They hold themselves well, uh, but the sadness has just devastated them. And uh, they hope for the end, but the the they, they'll believe it when they see it. And that's the type of... Thing.
1: And the same with the Revian, no doubt, the O'Dowd families. Yes, yes, mm. exactly.
0: Mm. It's a, it was an unsolvable problem. I don't know how you how you do it. It went back hundreds of years, and, it's, and the differences, the, the fault lines were were here for hundreds of years, and uh, to a certain extent, they're still there.
2: So Anthony got home from... Uh, uh, the hospital after 10 days by this time mummy and daddy had went over to to Seamus' house just over the road here the army set a checkpoint up right outside their door and they stayed there for a couple of weeks right outside their door so uh, Anthony was doing well Uh, Oliver said that he would take him up for to see his a girlfriend in blick which is which is two mile up the road so so you he left about at dinner time or twelve or one o'clock him and Oliver and they were they were messed five times in that two mile journey mm. this the very same questions at every checkpoint um who are you who's your passenger where are you going? Blah blah, you know, the whole story. Uh, Auntie, he was sitting up in the bed uh, the next morning and he wasn't going to mass because he wasn't, he wasn't good but brought him up his breakfast and he was sitting up in bed in the best of good form, chatting away and he was having a smoke and he was in bed uh, was when they left. Lillian's uh, girlfriend. And when she was coming down from Mars, didn't didn't she notice the ambulance? And Anthony was found fully dressed on the top of the stairs, unconscious. But anyway, somebody sent a word up to the priest when he was finished Mars to come on down, and the uh, Dr. Stewart came down again. The and they and and uh, and after he went away into uh, the hospital, Father Coos, called over to see my wife and he says, Say, the Anthony had a bit of a delayed shock. He says, uh, Dr Stewart says he'd be all right, but he says, don't begin in for, a, for in a few hours into the hospital. Give him a, you know, a wee bit of time to relax. So that was all right. It was coming on near four o'clock and we hadn't heard from Daisy. And now he, um, he would have left Blake at about <coughs> a quarter to the one at the very latest, and he was in Daisy Hill at <laughs> one o'clock. He would have been in at, at that time. So, mommy walks across the road and phones Daisy, uh, Daisy Hill, and she, and she says, eh, Anthony Reeve, in there. He's only after going in earlier on. Um, how's he getting on and this young fella that was on the reception says uh, Mrs. Reavy go on you home now Mrs. Reavy Uh, Anthony's not here because he wasn't checked in and she says yes he is in the, the ambulance took him in and he says not at all Mrs. Reavy Anthony's way home a fortnight ago so Mummy came over to uh, the house when she was crying and she says, there's definitely something not right. She says, uh, they don't have Auntie in there. So a couple of us jumped into the open and way into David Hill, and into the reception, and the young fellow was still there, and he said, no. He says, I haven't checked anybody in the name of Anthony either. Went, went over to accident and emergency and, no, we have no empty maybe. I said, for frigging sake, this man was taken in by the ambulance. No, never seen him. Never heard of him. So uh, we went to look for him and we found him in a uh, an empty ward. N- n- nobody had seen him Three hours wasted. He was unconscious, and when I when I found him, I went and told him, and uh, he never regained consciousness. Right, so he was taken up then into intensive care, and we were and we were all up there, and we were all thinking like, oh, tomorrow he'd be all right, you know, because he was home and he was doing well. Like it was on the up, queue, you know, he didn't have any loss of blood anymore or gut, and his blood levels were back up to whatever they should be. So Monday morning came and we asked them if we could get him transferred to uh, to the Royal. And they said yes. And it and I took them a good a good long time, to, you know, getting that done. So he went down to the aisle and they the, 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 told us that he like that he had a brain hemorrhage. Through Friday morning that we had been with him all the time, never left. But the doctor had been in round and he said that he was like, like that there wasn't gonna be any change. And when he got it was all, uh, all away. There was only Oliver left and his wife. Switched, uh, switched off the machine.
0: Over the years investigating these cases, uh, we went out our way to find out, first of all, who was responsible for the Reeve, uh shootings, and, uh, and we got the names. It was a lot of hard work, but we did get the names. And, uh, several of them are still alive and doing very well for themselves. Um, also, we got most of the names to do with what happened here. Um, and I don't know so much about the O'Dowds, but they would be, the the Revy family would be hopeful that in the near future uh, there will be a development that some of those involved will be made amenable for what happened here uh, and up the road in 1976.
1: And like these people that are believed to be responsible, are they living many of them within the community here alongside? The victims' families.
0: Yeah, we could we could drive to to where they live at the minute. I've I've confronted one of them who assaulted me. He thought I was on my own, but I wasn't. Uh, but they 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 live cheek by jowl. It's a strange setup, almost as though nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. I think the ongoing thing for the families here was the lack of justice because. Uh, No-one was ever convicted of them. There was various attempts to nail people. There was an inquiry in court, and uh, I certainly spoke to one man who was a major suspect in it. He denied it to me, uh, but the families are convinced he was involved. They're not the only ones. It's the lack of justice uh, has been an ongoing problem since the start of the Troubles. And this, being a huge case, stands out, uh, but it's no more heartbreaking than an awful lot more.
1: I suppose at the heart of it is that state collusion. State
0: collusion does enter uh, into many things in this area because uh, the... What became later known as the Glen Ann Gang operated round here, based at a farm a short distance away in the little linen village of Glen Ann. There was a man called Jim Mitchell, and uh, he's deceased now, but his farm was a a base for a a collection of killers uh, coming from British military intelligence, the RUC and the UVF based in nearby Portadown. And they together, and they, 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 they coordinated many killings in this area, and uh, that has, has been an ongoing sore in the Troubles, that there was a, a lack of justice to put a lot of them behind bars, although some of them were convicted, and several of them policemen.
1: And Hugh, would you describe that Clanan gang almost like cult, like group of like thinking of like-minded thinkers who believed in the ethnic cleansing of Catholics from the Without area? Without
0: doubt, and that's what went back to the plantation. That that was the the idea to to get rid of the Catholics in the area. That what that was the plan, um, and it, it happened here in the troubles. I spoke to them. They had these little meetings. Now, Sometimes these things, it's fear that produces that type of thing, but they were prepared to use murder against innocent Catholic people, uh, and that was the real danger of the thing the only similarity I can see in the world is similar things happened in Bosnia and they also happened in the southern states of America and because religion is intertwined with it all at the end of the day and too many people from this area viewed Catholic people as a lesser class of human being
1: and what happened here then in at king's mill with the shooting of the protestant workers was a reaction from the provost to the slaughter of the catholics by this glennans no, no. gang the provost never admitted it because they were horrified
0: uh, well, people, right-minded, right-thinking people, were horrified what happened. So the provost from day one were never going to admit it. But we now know, uh, and over the years, we now know an awful lot about what happened and who was involved. It looks as though they had something like this planned. Possibly the Reevee brothers was just the spark for it. And uh, that that's what it was. But it was a horrific piece of terrorism.
1: It seems to me that in a lot of these cases that, um, you know, actually solving them would indeed be very problematic to the the stability of the state almost, yeah, and, and yeah, certainly...
0: Yeah. Um, I've looked at it up and down, and I've listened to various chief constables talk about it, um, Hugh Ord, a very able chief constable, spoke to him about it once. He said, personally, if you asked him, he believed we really need to draw a line in the sand, step over it and let another generation uh, heal it in some way because here we are nearly, we're 45 years later and it's still an open wound very much. You just need to talk to people. Uh, they're traumatized by what happened to you.
1: You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from SundayWorld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the free Sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.